Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where we finally can talk Chelsea. And like our friend Black Emoji said, time to talk shit about everyone else, boys. We have won a match for the first time since, I believe, March 11th. That's a long time ago. Talk your shit. Let's do it. We're talking mad shit today. We are top of... The bottom half of the table, boys. <laughs> Where's the parade? Get the bus ready, the double-decker, schedule it. We are safe. We are staying in the Premier League. Som, how are you feeling, my friend? I mean, yeah, cool. We got the win. Um, <laughs> but th- I talked about this last episode, how I think that there's a 0% chance we're going to get relegated, even if we didn't win another match the rest of the season. And now that we won, I don't have to see people on Twitter, like, freaking out about relegation. So I think I'm more happy about not having to hear people complain about that anymore uh, (laughs) than actually avoiding relegation itself. But, yeah, yeah, I get that. It's just an unfamiliar feeling to win. I haven't forgotten what it felt like. So, so isn't it? Isn't it better that we handle it by ourselves and we don't need everybody else to fuck up to assure the fact that we're not getting relegated? Yeah. <laughs> we still kind of Love fucked around a little bit, didn't we? <laughs> no, look, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it feels like a massive weight got lifted off of our shoulders. At least now we can watch the rest of the season um i'm gonna choose my words wisely being emotionally disconnected from the results only but now the only focus is really the performances um so it doesn't matter if we win lose draw the next couple matches the most important thing for me is that the team goes out there that we're competitive and that we kind of build on it um you know so we can finish the season strongly because fact of the matter is he picked a team that was motivated so if he continues to pick a motivated team, I think we'll see performances that are spirited like this. Not gonna sit, not not gonna sit here and say that we're gonna win, but it's just nice to see that some guys care. Some, yeah. And if and if we're talking motivated at this point, we mean the young kids that are still here on like twenty year contracts, right? That's who we want to see play. Yeah, the, the class of twenty. What is it? Twenty thirty. <laughs> Whoever decided to to sell their life away to Todd Bowley, like Enzo did, but. Let's get to it, boys, because Chelsea beat Bournemouth 3-1. to one. Lampard lined us up with his usual 4-3-3, kept by him goal. Trevor Chalaba at right back, Thiago Silva and Benoit Badia-Shio at center back. Chilwell left back, midfield three of Conte, Enzo, and Gallagher. And a front three of Madueke, Kai, and Mudrik, which is awfully weird as it sounds, is what we were hoping for. Um. Guys, Lampard got it right. Is that is that kind of where we're at right now? This is fo- probably the best eleven he's chosen yet. I mean, I think it's I think it's the best. Sorry, let me. I'll go quickly. I, I think yeah. it's probably the best, but it's still not the ideal eleven because Kai Havertz is still in it, and we are still begging to see 
David Fofana. I want to see him play. I don't know anything about him. I know everything about Kai Havertz. Let's figure it out. Let's learn. Play the guy. I can I can let you know that he's not even part of the first team setup since Lampard arrived. Like even no. pre that Potter Potter like had already demoted him to the academy. Like he is just not around. Potter so, played him one half and then pulled him after he was arguably our most dangerous player that half. And we've never seen him again. And <laughs> I, look, the, the team was spot on. I mean, this is exactly what I would have picked minus Kai. I'm just like, Sam, I, I'm, I'm over it. I want to see something different. Um, but look, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We got the result, and I guess that's, that's the main thing that matters here. Um, but yeah, it, it was a relatively strong team. When I first saw it on paper, I, my first thought was that Frank is going back to what made him successful his first season at Chelsea, and that being focusing on the wing play, as opposed to overcomplicating things with square pegs and round holes and playing Conor Gallagher up top and trying to hit teams on the counter. No, we, we played a possession-based style. We got the balls. Uh, we got the ball quickly and often to our wingers, and uh, as a result, we were able to dominate that area of the pitch. And uh, yeah, it just looked levels above what we've seen lately. And I mean, you talk about focusing on the wings. There's no place to start than with Noni Madueke. I mean, the guy was again probably our best player on the pitch. I think he had sparks against Arsenal. He got himself a goal there. But if that was sort of like his his spark. I think this was much more of a complete performance. I think he was definitely in the first half, like our outlet to get into the attack. Maybe he was missing like the decisiveness once he was in the box, but the dude got in the box every single time. And I mean, he has now um, completed 21 successful dribbles in the Premier League, which is the most for our whole team. And to make it even more shocking, he's only played 382 minutes. This mm-hmm. whole season arrived in January, hasn't gotten that many minutes. Um, I think if I do the math real quick, that's four matches, a little bit over four matches total of playing time. And he is now the most dangerous guy 1v1 in this whole team, which just shows how lacking in confidence our attackers have ha- have been throughout this season and just kind of giving a bit of fresh air to, to what our attack has been. And to go even a little bit further, he now has the most completed dribbles per 90 in the whole Premier League with 5.24. So wow. it's yeah. it's wild. The kids, what, 2021? 20, Tom, like, what, what did you think of Manuike's game? I mean, it's exciting. It's, it's really exciting. Uh, it's, this is the type of... Like, the same argument that I was making for Fofana was the reason why we wa- I wanted to see Manuike play more. And it's it's been you know he's had flashes for sure um still very raw and i also just don't i don't understand why they're so reluctant in letting them play a full 90 like i don't think either of these guys have played a full 90 either they start and they get pulled early or they come off the bench like you know you look at Bukayo Saka obviously different conversation but dude plays every minute of the season he's 21 years old too like it's not like yeah. these guys are you know like older players they're 21 like let them run around well just to cut you off really quickly Sob, i know the Madueke thing is due to his injury history like if you go back and look at his uh 
his season that he had at PSV. Um, he dealt with injuries for most of the season. And then last season as well, he had a lot of injuries as also. So a lot of muscular little niggles here and there. Maybe that's why so, we're not playing him a full 90. So is he never going to play a full 90 if he has this injury history? No, I don't think he I'm seems not. like that kind of player, honestly. Um, that's, that's not my take on it. I think, honestly, it's more of Arsenal is playing for everything, right? This is the best chance Arsenal has had in the last 15 years to win the Premier League. Maybe I'm exaggerating that number a bit, but they have to play their best 11 for 90 minutes every single week to keep up with City. While we sort of have to bubble wrap what our best or those guys that are going to be here next year and for sure will be here. So my thought process is, okay, he gave me 70. He's going to start again next match. I already saw what he could do. It, th- I don't need to run him to the ground because he was fouled a decent amount too, and he did go down at one point, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. So I just see it as like, okay, he was trying. He he had his chances. He never got his goal. He didn't get his assist. He's coming up scot-free. Let's get him off the pitch before something bad happens. So I, mean, I, I think we'll get him there. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I, I don't see it that way. I mean... I think once a player starts getting those muscular injuries, they're just going to keep coming thick and fast, kind of like we're seeing with Reese and Chilwell and maybe some other players in our team and re- as of late. But when it comes to Matoweke, I mean, maybe the reason why he can't play the full 90 right now at this point in time, if my theory is incorrect, I mean, look at the amount of dribbles this guy's completing. I mean, if you can correlate the amount of attempted dribbles with work rate, then maybe that's a reason why he's not able to last a full 90 minutes. I mean, he was our most lively attacker in this game, bar none. Um, I think he was our best attacker. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look, I think out of all the signings, he's the one that's surprising me the most because I was critical of, of signing him too. You know, we got him after the Mudrick deal and I'm thinking, all right, we, we have a lot of wingers. We need a number nine. What the hell are we doing going after another young English player? Um, and it turns out, I mean, he's shutting me up at least because he looks like the most polished out of all the attacking players that we bought. He's still mm-hmm. raw. Um, I think the end product could uh, could use a little working on. And he also holds mm-hmm. onto the ball a little bit too long sometimes, right? Like he'll dribble one or two players and try to go for the third when he should just be releasing it instead. But I think those things come with maturity. But all in all, he's, I, I think the only way is up for him, really. He's impressed me more than Mudrik has, I'm going to be honest. For sure. And, and that's something I actually wanted to ask you guys because I noticed this. And and to me, it feels like Madueke gets the ball always facing the opponent's box. I, I always feel like Madueke is receiving the ball, or not always, but the majority of the time facing the attack. And it's it's set up for him to take on players with speed on the dribble. While when you reverse it and you're thinking on the left side, Mudrik rarely gets the ball into space. I feel like Mudrik is always dribbling backwards to get it. He has to then turn, and by the time he's turned, he's now releasing the ball. I wanted to ask you, is is there more to it than just the fact that the right side of our 11 is the more veteran side, so they move the ball quicker? Like If you think of the left side, you have Badiashio and Gallagher, and Chilwell, who likes to dribble up into space. So you mm-hmm. have, in my head a slower buildup out the left than the right side. Is there more that, more to it than that? Is, is Mudrik doing something wrong, or or is it just that right now? 
I, I, I mean, this is just an observation I made. I don't know if I'm correct or not. I mean, I don't have my fucking UEFA badges, but what I noticed is that Matoeke actually sticks out um, on the right-hand side closer to the byline than Mudrik does uh, on the left. So I noticed that Mudrik does like to tuck in centrally to receive the ball, and like you said, he drops in deep. And oftentimes I saw him not necessarily cutting off the passing lane, but sort of entering the space where a guy like Connor Gallagher or a Conte would normally check into to receive the ball from Enzo. Um, maybe that's a consequence of Chilwell, like you said, being an attacking fullback and pushing up. Chalaba wasn't doing that as much because he was, you know, obviously told to stay back. Um, so that, I mean, that's something I notice. I think, I think Madueke is just more of a natural, he's naturally going to drift out to the byline more than Mudrik is. I think Mudrik is eventually going to be one of those players where if you're playing him off of the left or even off of the right in that sense, you're going to expect him to drop deep or, or slide over centrally, um, or even play up top with the striker at some points too. So I think it's just the difference in playing styles, but also a lot to do with it has the guys that are playing behind them. I'm I'm pretty sure if Reese James was playing behind Madueke, he would be forced inside more because Reese James is going to be the one overlapping like Chilwell was on the left. So it's something to look out to, uh, something to look out for. I think uh, before I pass it off to Sam, you know, Chilwell did get injured towards the end of the game. Did look like he did his hammy again. So if that's going to be the case and we have to play Kukurea at in the back, Let's see how Mudrik's positioning, if he's healthy. And if not, then it should be Lewis Hall. Um, but regardless, whoever's playing there, let's see if Mudrik's positioning it, uh, changes um, in terms of just the general areas and spaces that he takes up as opposed to having a full-on attacking wingback playing behind you. Mm, I, I mean, it's an interesting theory, but... I feel like you're discrediting um, Chilwell a little bit when you're saying that he would benefit more from being on the right side with Reese James. I mean, th no, this match not not Chilwell, uh, Mudrik. Yeah, but you're, but, yeah, but you were saying that if he was playing on the right side, he would benefit more because he has Reese James. Is that is that not what you said? No, no. no. If if I saying if Madueke, if Reese James is playing on the right. Maybe Madueke's positioning wouldn't have been so wide because Reese is overlapping, like Ben was on the left, how he was overlapping over Mudrik. It was naturally okay. forcing Mudrik to tuck inside to find that space. Because if, if okay. the times where he stood out wide, they were making those stupid five yard backward passes, and you know, really does nobody any good. But once Mudrik figured it out, hey, I can drift and become the 10, or I could join Kai up top. Then we started the Chilwell started to find more space to operate on the left, and we just looked a lot more fluid. I wasn't talking about Chilwell. Yeah, no, I right. get it. Yeah, I get it. It's an, an interesting thought, Andres, but uh, he has still had opportunities. Like he, it's not like he's receiving the ball in completely different spots than Madueke, um, but I, he still has a lot to prove. I think. Um, He's still not making the best uh, out of his opportunities, I think. And I really hope to see him like start the rest of the season so he can he has more opportunities to prove himself. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I don't think it's a bad thing that he is drifting centrally. If anything, it shows a little bit of flexibility to an extent. But I think he's taking the harder road to get himself that highlight moment by going into traffic. Like, again, he was dribbling centrally, but then he's letting go of the ball. We're retaining possession. 
but you don't get to see the the moments of brilliance that Madueke has now gotten to show and and what truly gets these young players a little bit more of um more confidence in their game and and that sort of thing because Madueke the physicality is is there he's literally fearless on the outside right now uh so I, I'm just hoping we can see like you said some like Mudrick do the same soon um, another another player that I wanted to highlight and and this is actually going to before we get into the, the two goals that got us the game I thought Enzo had his best match in a while uh, he did have a, a match best 10 recoveries and a match best 11 out of 13 long balls I'm not sure if he has just been burnt out or the quality of, of teams we've been playing with him as a six made him not that he was bad, but like sort of just disappear in the, the mush and, and the, the shittiness of the situation. But did you guys feel like he was back to his best in this one, even though it's just not getting the most out of him playing the six? I, I honestly, I just don't like it. I really don't like seeing him at the six. Like it's that's gotta be our number one priority next year. I think. I mean, obviously, striker, goalkeeper, are very important. But we need a CDM. I don't want to see him playing as the you know deepest midfielder. That's just we're only getting half of the full package of of Enzo. I mean, he still hasn't scored yet this season, which is baffling. I mean, you look at his highlights. He has like eight, ten different like outside the box shots, um, and he hasn't even gotten one in uh, for us. So I don't know. Yeah. I think burnout could also be another factor, though, because he has played. A he, lot. he has, yeah. I, if we look at the at the calendar and the minutes starting from when he arrived, I he's would probably say played he's, every minute. He's, he's probably top three. He's probably top three by, and that's absolutely if like if not in one. Kepa, Kepa plus two, you know. Oh sure, right, right. I mean, he's played. He's started in every match. He's been available, and when he's gotten subbed off, he's come off with like five or ten minutes left in the game. So he's effectively because <laughs> he got a yellow or something. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I I agree with you, Sam. I think, and we've been saying this for years now, and we sound like broken records, but CDM is a real problem at Chelsea Football Club. Because we, re- we only have N'Golo Conte there, and Frank is reluctant to play him at the six. We want his pressing ability up high next to Gallagher. Um, I don't think we're getting the worst out of Enzo, and I also don't think we're getting the best like you guys. But I just think he's more so, like Andres said, just getting lost in the negativity of the season. Kind of like Jao Felix did. I mean, they both came in. They both looked bright right off the bat. They played well for us. We saw moments of brilliance from both of them. And then all of a sudden... The team's form dropped off massively. We were completely unable to win games, and they were our only good players for, I mean, Felix, maybe about three or four games before he dropped off. Enzo, I would argue, maybe a little bit longer, but they both had significant drop-offs. I just think once the air is toxic, it infects everybody. There's really no getting out of it, unless you're, you know, prime Leo Messi. I don't think think you're going to get, you know, I don't think... I don't think you're going to get through this situation like relatively unscathed. Like yeah. none of these players are going to have happy memories of this season. They're all going to be scarred from it. So Enzo and Felix are are added to that list, but going into next season, 
We just need to put legs next to Enzo, and I feel like that's why he's not finding his space out, spaces outside the box because he doesn't. I don't think he feels like he has the protection behind him to drift into those positions and maybe show for the ball for a potential, you know, a pullback pass right outside the box because he loves that. He's, you know, when he plays in more advanced roles, he's waiting just outside the 18 for somebody to make that little five or six yard cut back pass so he can hit it first time far post. I mean, he 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 looked for it a couple times and came close, but. We need to see him in a more advanced position to see more yeah. of that. And also playing him deeper, you're utilizing him in the same way that we played Jorginho. And our biggest criticism of Jorginho was his range of passing. If you're going to play a guy at the six, you're going to expect that the passes are going to be 10 to 15 yards on average. Wow. Whereas a guy like Enzo, you want him pinging those 30, 40, 50 yard long balls if it's on. Because he's the guy that could put it on a, on a pinhead. So... Yeah, I mean, it's a big priority. If we're not going to play Conte there as like an out-and-out -out CDM next season, then we should definitely be planning to play, if we're going to go with a midfield three, to play Enzo and Conte as the eights, and we need to buy a six to play right behind them because, good Lord, they need they, they need help, especially if Conte's not playing the six. And I prefer the latter. What you, like, I, don't, I don't want Conte playing CDM. I'd prefer having him play as like the, the, the partner with Enzo and we get someone like I don't know I mean uh Declan Rice type of player a ball winner a thank you I didn't want yeah. to say Declan Rice but <laughs> I've been saying it for 24 months <laughs> I know it's exactly the I'm price gonna... tag the price tag is is what may hold issue. us back I think West Ham is now saying they they're not yeah. going to get it they're saying something like 150 I think realistically I think they'll get 80 million at best and they're going to have to take it because they're like so, barely escaping relegation as well, except somebody, that they don't have as much of a bright future. Somebody tell Rupert to give us a discount. <laughs> For uh, those that was... don't get the reference, it's a Ted Lasso reference. Rupert is <laughs> oh, the fictional owner of West Ham. And I like, it's, it's funny because you're saying that, and I think it is not, it, that is true. These owners though, They'll overpay for positions that we don't need. Fair. But when it comes to a guy like Declan Rice, like the most important, one of the most important positions moving forward for us, uh, I don't know. It's it, my other, my other, sorry, the my other like concern with that is if they want to go out and spend big on a striker, like the ones who are available right now, they're. Like I mean, the OC men's like, what is he going for? Like 140 100 million, hundred maybe yeah, more. I mean, yeah. And De Laurentiis already said he's not selling, which doesn't really? mean much. Yeah, he came out and said, "I'm not selling OC men." I mean, he, the the Napoli owner is very much wanting to like go back to back and and truly get another shot at the UCL. I, I'm should. not. Of that course, leagues up for grabs. Here's my thing. I'm not ready to spend another hundred million on a striker. Like, no. Sound. This may sound crazy, yeah. and, and and I'm gonna go on a bit of a tangent here before we go back. If the next manager is all in on Lukaku, I'll give him one last shot. Like, yeah. Only if the manager is all in on it and knows how to get the best of him. Because again, we understand Tuchel got him and thought he could make him a target man, and that's just not what Lukaku is. I am not defending his shit attitude, poor effort, and then on top of that, all the bullshit that went down with his interviews and stuff. 
But if a new manager comes in, we can't get rid of Lukaku or get any money back, and he thinks, oh, I can get the best of him, I can make this work, I'd say Lukaku is Premier League proven. And the only season where he didn't bag more than 15 goals in the past seven years was with us. And, and, then, and then this current one, he's like barely getting there. But, but he's getting as there. Of, yeah, as of late, he's been in awesome form. Um, so good timing, giving me Maybe. a little bit more comfort. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I'm with yeah, you and, and it may sound controversial because, again, it's not like I'm forgiving him as a fan. It's just more of if we are going to do the big cash spend on one player, I agree with you some. Shell out the money for Declan Rice because if the owners were like Enzo is our guy, we're going to pay the 100 plus on Enzo. If they feel that strongly on Declan Rice, get him. Get him for that price. If it's not him, it, if it's Romeo Lavia, get him for the 40 million, whatever it is, whoever your target is. Maybe. Yeah. I, I haven't seen his name as much recently. I've seen, I continue to see Declan. I continue to see Romeo Lavia. And then this Portuguese league guy, Ugarte, is, is popping up as of recently. All three of them are true sixes, though. And that's what we should be looking at. I, um, um, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, okay, let me start with the Lukaku thing. Um, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. And I wouldn't necessarily be, like, pissed off if that was the case. But I'm not going to be over the moon either. I mean, the, the jury is definitely still out with him. He has a lot of making up to do. But let's be real. We watched the Inter AC Milan Champions League match today. And as he was coming onto the pitch, they showed us his numbers. And he has a better shots to goals ratio than any other player in that Inter side. Mm-hmm. Listen, again, I'm not forgiving him. And I'm not saying this so, is a great thing. Poch I'm just saying. It is a great thing, yeah. No, but, but what I'm saying is if, if Poch looks at Lukaku and and you know sees <laughs> Lukaku as okay I want to give him the first eight games of the season or the first five games of the season then sure like a hundred percent let's do it but if that doesn't work out what I'm saying is I'm not necessarily opposed to going out and buying a temporary solution at the position maybe somebody that's a little bit older around 20 30 million similar to like an Olivier Giroud type deal where so, we know exactly uh, so what Peter we're going Another guy <laughs> that only has been listen, shit this year. No, Let's be real. Another another no, no. one. Like I'm, 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 I, I'm listen, not trying to be I, like. A, I get it. I get it. And, and that's a fair. And that's a fair point. But I mean, just like you brought up Aubameyang, I could easily bring up Ali Giroud, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's the point is if we buy smartly at that position, like if we spend 20, 30 million and get 15, 12 to fifteen goals out of that striker, I think that's worth every fucking penny going into next year. And then that way, maybe we qualify for Champions League. Maybe we're back in Europe. We'll have more money at our disposal. We'll be more of a destination. Then next summer, we can really go after our center forward target while still getting our CDM this summer. Because, you know, I'm assuming we're only spending 20, 30 million on a center forward, if anything. And that's assuming Lukaku doesn't come back. So I don't know. We have a ton of options, but I would very much not be opposed to going after that savvy, cheaper move. The the guys that you're naming, like the price is due to their age, and they're not gonna play thirty plus matches. They're not gonna start thirty plus matches for you in a season. Like Giroud's not doing that right now. 
Obamiang wasn't wasn't expected to do anything. Like, look at Ed and Jekko today, what he did. Um, <laughs> and he's like 36, 37 years old. 30, yeah, he's old. And uh, like those, that's the type of player that you're just like, it's the same type of player that you guys are describing, but he's not going to play like 30 plus matches in a season for you. Um, so we still need to look elsewhere or bring two of those guys in. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or again, I guess it. it the thing is, Roy's injury. The fact that we won't get to see him at all mm-hmm. going into the summer is is just shitty. Because if we get to see him at least one or two matches before the summer, see if his speed and strength is still, you know, what we saw pre-injury, maybe it's a different conversation. But we'll we'll hold all transfer talks and predictions for for later this year. I do want to bring it back because. Zach, you were talking about how player performance went down and, and shit got toxic. And there's one player that I believe wasn't part of that. He was actually removed from the situation and all of us were baffled. And that's Benoit Badi Ashil. I mm. He finally gets a start under Lampard. And I mean, again, it's so baffling because here are the numbers. For these, the numbers I'm about to say are, are, ma- are matches with and without Badi Ashil. We played... Eight matches with him, and we got two wins, four draws, and just two losses with Benoit Badia Shield there. 50% clean sheet rate, and we were conceding 0.75 goals per match. Without him, six matches, zero wins, one draw, five losses, 16.7% clean sheet rate, 1.67 goals scored on us. This has been easily the biggest like sin committed by Lampard up until now. Because this guy was arguably up there with Enzo, probably value-wise even more so, our signing of the season in January. Came in, immediate impact, confident, cool, just safe. We knew we were going to get a clean sheet if he was on the pitch, and then he was taken away. And that's when the season sort of the wagon, the wagon lost its wheels sort of thing. And he got his goal today. A very, very, very important goal. Again, the guy that was helping us not lose games. He wasn't helping us win. Not, not only did he help us not lose against Bournemouth, but he got us the win. He's back. Todd Bowley went to France in his Lamborghini and he got his Benoit body of shield. However, the new chant goes. Sam, let's talk about Big Ben. Oh, Dude, I really don't think we need to spend much time talking about him because it's so obvious how good he is. It's it's just blows my mind. You said it's the most unforgivable thing Frank has probably done this season. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's punishable what what Frank is doing. It's criminal. I really like he's he's killing me, man. Like he's making it so hard for me to love him. But it's it's just like I have to call him an idiot when he is. It's it's so obvious. This guy is a beast. He is a Rolls Royce. I mean, it, he's fantastic. He's big. He's strong. Aerially dominant. He's great with the ball. I mean, just like the argument I made for Madueke over Mudrik, I'm not going to say that this is how I feel, but I can totally understand if somebody thinks Badia Shield looks more polished than even Fofana. 
I mean, you could go that far. The the performances have been really good from him. Um, I think this is an amazing purchase. The fact that he plays on the left-hand side is going to present a lot of opportunity for him, but it's also going to provide a lot of competition going into next season with Levi Colwell. Um, if, if any of the reports that I'm reading about Pochettino are true, Colwell's definitely going to be coming back next year, and that left-sided center-back position is going to be stacked, which is great for us. Um, yeah, he needs to be starting every single match. And I'm also glad he got his goal. Um, I've noticed when he's played, we've been targeting him on those set pieces, uh, but none of them have come off because the set piece delivery, I mean, not just for the last month or so, but for, I would argue, the whole season has been months. subpar. Yeah, it's been, it's been god-awful. And finally, he gets a really good delivery from Ziyech, world-class. Um, and takes advantage of his opportunity. So good on him, man. He, and the he finish, enough, too. The finish, it's Acrobatic. a great finish. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good finish. I, everything about that goal was the complete opposite of what we've seen from Chelsea this year. So it was good to see. But the fact that we have a center back, two young center backs in Fofana and Badiashil, who have both shown that they're more than capable of, you know, taking responsibility for themselves is a huge plus. And the fact that we have Colwell coming back next season, who's already taken responsibility at Brighton and even worked his way into the starting lineup and made that spot his own before he got injured. I mean, we look good defensively for the years to come. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to find the numbers. I'll, I'll have to look into it because I remember specifically Badia Shield Fofana partnership, even under Potter being successful. I remember he was trying to play a back four and he would shoehorn Koulibaly in and it was just a disaster. He finally would put Fofana and Body of Shield together and it was just night and day. So yeah, the future's for sure bright. Um, but Zach, you mentioned Ziyech and I think that's a perfect time to talk about the subs. Um, it's, no, it's no surprise that Ziyech isn't starting as much. And based on Sterling's performances, it's also not surprising that he finally got the bench. But both guys came on late. Both guys got assists. We win the game three to one. And I, I want to know if you guys feel the way I do. Because you would think that players come off the bench, make an impact, and, and we'll get to Felix. I'm, I'm holding him to a different standard here. But Ziyech and Sterling, come on. They get the assists. We win. The logic would be that they earn a start next match. Now, I'm glad. I am glad they got the assist. I'm glad they put in the shift. Here's where I stand. Because Frank has given both of them a chance to start since his return. And I think if they start this match, we don't get this level of performance against uh, uh, from them. And my argument is the moment that something goes wrong for this team, both Ziyech and Sterling are part of the issue. They're part of that little group that just stops trying, stops running, stops giving you effort. And I truly believe the only reason they sh shined is because they came on against tired legs and the momentum was already back in our side as they approached. I think everything was Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. But if they came on during that 10, 15, had they been there during that 10, 15, 20 minute spell where Bournemouth was trying to get back in and tied the match, it would have been the usual walking, possession losing, not putting in tackles thing. And that's where I'm at with these guys. I think these two guys specifically keep them doing the, the bench work. 
I think Ziyech benefits from putting all his effort in 20 minutes and, and getting that little assist off a free kick for his future more so than walking around for 90 minutes. Now, Sterling, he needs to earn back any sort of trust or, or whatever. He's getting paid way too much money to be shitty. But do you guys agree with me here? Like, am I am I being cynical thinking that they need to stay on the bench and as far from the 11 as possible? No, no. you're being a Chelsea fan. No, hold on. It- Andy, no one is making that argument. No one is making the argument that unless... Okay, the only people who are making the argument that these two deserve to start are people who haven't watched a Chelsea match this whole year, and today was their... That was their first one they ever watched. Because (laughs) it it extends beyond just one match. Like, we, we, we had the same issue with Kai Havertz. Like, Kai Havertz would play six poor games in a row and then have one good one we're not going to forget the six poor matches like it's like cool you you had a you had a goal and an assist like we want to ex- we expect that from you like pretty often you don't so it's it's just i don't know i i i, I what you're what you said and your response to that is the only opinion that a Chelsea fan should have to be honest. Zach, I don't know if you wanted to Uh no, I'm gonna double down on what you said. I don't really have anything <laughs> else to add. I don't I don't think anybody's clamoring for it, but like the Ziyech definitely shouldn't be playing. The guy was f- fucking a fax error away from leaving Chelsea. Yeah. Literally. I agree. And, and then you and then Sterling, like I don't want to see him start, but if any of them should be getting some kind of playing time off the bench, maybe it's Sterling because who knows? Maybe Pochettino comes in and could get something out of him that's better than nothing, which is what we've gotten so far. So, yeah, let's see. Only time will tell if uh, if playing them is going to pay off. I think I think the only benefit of playing Ziyech is is playing him into the shop window if he plays well. But I mean, the guys leading up to this performance, every time we'd play him, it seemed to be taking another million off of his price tag because yeah. he's just been so shit all season. Again, wrap him up in bubble wrap, throw him in the freezer, take him out whenever transfers transfers are open again. But okay, I'm not crazy then. That's all I wanted to double check. Um, now, the yeah, other sure. sub that I I want to bring up is Felix, and and for a different reason now because we, we talked, Zach, you alluded to it before. Felix arrived and, and was making at least a visual impact. The guy was making us get off our seats. He was taking shots. He scored a goal in his second match, I believe. Yeah, um, that's good. He looked good. He's hit the post like seven times in his time here. But this week, you know, actually, upon Lampard's arrival, completely exiled. We discussed this last pod. Lampard doesn't – that's a part of Lampard's managerial side that he's just not getting right. He just didn't know where to put Felix, putting the blame on him instead of trying to find a spot for him. Now, this <laughs> week specifically. The the Twitter sphere blew up again. The internet blew up because a report came out that I, the locker room in Atletico is much happier since Felix departed. And since that happened in January, Atletico's attack has actually just blossomed and they're now in second place, which then made people go wow. a little bit further and talk about the fact that we spent 10 millions for a guy to just dribble and then score only twice in X amount of minutes, blah, 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 blah. Which then goes to the next part is, 
why the hell should we keep Felix again? Like, there's no point in playing him. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where the snowball effect happened, right? Somebody grabbed one report, they have an agenda against Felix, and then it blew up. He comes off the bench, scores, and quickly reminds the fans who he is by pointing at the back of his jersey. Hate that shit. Rumor has it, we're working on a second loan. Where do you guys stand on keeping him for a second spell? Tom. I think that makes the most sense for both parties. Um, if we're going to look at it from the Atleti side, what you said is definitely true. Like, they might be better off without him. They aren't going to get the price that they want for him. So instead of selling him for a discount, you loan him out to, you know, for another year so that he's not in the locker room and. You know, I, that that is concerning to me, but I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. I don't think it's a locker right. room presence thing, whatever. And it does make sense for Chelsea because we don't want to spend that hundred million pounds for a guy that we're skeptical of now. So another loan move, like, I, I don't want to pay another 10 million um, for, we're going to get him for a full season. Are they going to expect 20 million? <laughs> Uh, right, but yeah. there's. I mean, I I wouldn't even like pay they've more been, than five million. They've been floating the number of sixteen around, and and that's, that's the reason why. I, that's why I don't like this deal because, like I said, you can easily turn around and spend that sixteen on a serviceable, you know, veteran type player that can give you you know one season's worth of production in a more important position. Because the fact of the matter is this. Felix positionally is a conundrum because we don't know. He doesn't even know where he wants to play. Like Frank was asked two matches ago. He, he, he sat Felix down and asked him where he wants to play. And Felix told him, I, I don't know. So it's like, he doesn't know if he's a striker. He doesn't know if he's a 10. He doesn't know if he's a winger. So what are we supposed to do? It's, it, it's our job to figure that out for him. I mean, coming into next season, at the wing position, you're going to assume that either one of Mount, Sterling, or Pulisic stays. Madueke, Mudrik. Now you got Nkunku coming in. I just don't see, unless we're bringing him in to strictly play him at the 9, or we're playing, planning to play Nkunku at the 9, which I hope is not the case, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, Unless Athletic wants to give us a little discount, I feel like we should maybe cut the cord on this experiment and say, you know, best of luck. You know, he's a good player. I think he's going to be, you know, and an, uh, I don't know how to say it. I Not necessarily world class, but he's going to reach that upper echelon of like world footballers someday. I, I do believe that. But like, is it really that necessary? Can that 16 million be spent somewhere else? Are there other positions that we would rather have padded instead of you know just going out and buying yet another winger or bringing in another winger for another yeah. season it's not that i don't think the kid's talented it's just i think he's surplus to requirements and then the problem is i feel like if we do wind up making this deal permanent or let's say in a parallel universe we do we're going to run into the same issue that we have with kai where there really is no out and out this is where he plays every single match He's going to be playing yeah. here, there, and everywhere, and he's going to be inconsistent. He's already showed that he can't score consistently. Maybe he can create consistently, but 
then again, he has to be playing in a familiar position every single week, week in and week out. He's too young yeah. to be playing here, there, and everywhere. Nobody's good enough to do that at his age. Uh, my, my whole thing is just this. like The goal next season, it, it's a two-parter, right? It's to create a football identity and to figure out what our starting, like our best 11 is. Like, who are we picking week in and week out? Some talked about, you know, Arsenal have Saka. He's going to be in the right wing every single week and he's going to play close to 90 minutes. We have fielded the most 11s, I believe, the last two and a half seasons in the Premier League. Like, no team ch- chops and changes as much as Chelsea does. So, to me, we are only going to be in the Premier League. And the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup, there is not enough minutes in our schedule to make this move make sense. Because you would argue it depend if it is Potch, and and I know we like I'm not talking about him specifically, but it would be a four-two-three-one most likely. That position behind the striker already has three names on it before we even sell someone. You have Nkunku. You have Mount and you have Kai Havertz and you want to throw Felix in on top of that. It just, there is not enough time. And if you do sign him, then you're hurting your idea of, of putting an identity down because now you have to split the time four ways. You can argue he can play on the left. He can, you can argue he can play on the right, but then that takes minutes again from somebody else that we probably rather see because they're not a lone player. They're a guy that's here for six, seven years. I just think, Wrong time, wrong place. I agree with Zach. Felix is super talented. There is nothing that I think he's particularly doing wrong to earn a place at a club like Chelsea. I just think our situation calls for something else right now. So I, and I don't like the fact that we have to pay for a loan. If if paying his wages isn't enough, I, I don't like it. We need to, like we've been saying this whole time, spend wisely because we are a few pieces away from truly building something. So not sure if you want to add anything else guys, before I kind of move along. Well, I want to now talk about Frank himself because we've been pretty candid about the fact that we think he's been absolute dog shit (laughs) to put things mildly. Yeah. But he got it right this time. He got it right this time. He picked the 11 and I think we finally, I think the players finally understood what they had to do. I'm not going to say we visually saw it, but what sort of made me feel better about this match, thinking that it wasn't just individual performances that clicked, was post-match press conferences from both Lampard and then Gallagher, who I think won man of the match. Lampard talked about the fact that he wanted to, number one, get the center mids to crash into the box to create these triangles with the wingers and the fullbacks in attack to do wide overloads that would lead then to a ball into the middle. We saw that today. The The goal happened from a wide overload where Conte got the ball and he crossed it in. And who was there? The other number eight crashing into the box to get numbers in. This was the first time we've seen that actually play out in, in a match under Lampard where the midfielders are truly all there in the attack. So I thought that was really good. And then just the fact that Gallagher doubled down on it and talked about how, you know, his what he was supposed to do, what Frank was expecting. Yes, he wanted the midfielders to, to help bring the ball wide, but then be a presence in the middle at the end of the play. So 
there is coaching going on out there. I don't know if it's, I still don't know if it's the best tactical approach, but there is tactics being talked about. There are X's and O's that these guys are working on. And he picked the right people for it. And that's the part that I want to give him props for. He wasn't putting, you know, like we've been saying, square pegs and round holes. He wasn't putting an Obama Yang up top to to play Madueke and, and Mudrik wide. He was putting Kai, who is more of a false nine in between those two guys to facilitate the two guys out wide and that sort of thing. So I wanted to give him props on that. I don't know if you guys saw something, if you guys think that it was just a matter of time or it's just the opposition. Where it do we stand, took him, Zach? It took him too long. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of did it to himself, didn't he? Because we've been calling it since Potter was here in terms of what starting lineups we think uh, can get the most out of the team in a bad run of form. And Frank was just so adamant on playing the quote-unquote leaders of the team and the guys who performed in training and yada, yada, yada. And listen, we've seen managers like Jose and Conte, even Tuchel say the same exact things, but the difference with those guys is if those players that were performing in training weren't performing in the matches, we wouldn't see them in the matches anymore. Like there is such a good, there is such a thing as a player being really good in training and then just having it not translate to the pitch whatsoever. Like there's so many cases in every single sport that exists out there. So it's not unusual to say that, but yeah, he, he did go back to basics. We went back to the wing play. He obviously picked the right team. He picked our two, I don't want to say most lethal, but probably our two most confident wingers at the moment. The two wingers that we know are going to give 110% and run at players when they get the ball and be a threat when they can, which they were. Um, So yeah, I I think we should continue this through the rest of the season. If Frank ever wants a chance at coaching again, (laughs) he needs to be picking the same team week in and week out. Because... You know, like I said before, it, it, he didn't necessarily do himself any favors, one, taking the job, but two, sticking with his guns and, you know, relying on the players that have been letting Chelsea fans down for the last 12 months or so. Yeah, Fair enough. I, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> I said my point. Yeah. We, we've been pretty clear about how we feel with so far what Lampard has done and how he's approached it, but... We'll move into the Twitter questions. I have a question from uh, Earl of Chelsea at CFC Earl, and he kind of gives us a bit of a hypothetical here. He says, sign Mason Mount to a two to three year deal on 250K a week, but sell Connor Gallagher for 30, 40 million or sign Connor Gallagher to a long term deal. Let's say it's one of those six year deals, 115, 125K a week, but sell Mount for 70 to 80 million. I love this question. I love this question. This is like, this is probably our best question. I think that we've ever received. Like, it's just an like an interesting thought experiment. Um, and I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm actually very curious to see what you guys say. Yeah. I think I would rather do the second option: sign Gallagher to a long term deal. Let's say a hundred thousand, maybe a hundred and five. Um and sell mound for 70 to 80 mil i mean i think with the um the inbound players and what we currently have 
I just don't think either of these players are going to be playing um, like prime roles, you know? Like they're not going to be one of the main 11. So if they're going to be a supporting player coming off the bench and starting, you know, every once in a while when we need it, like let's get the money, 70 to 80 million, and let's keep a guy on Gallagher who's serviceable on a cheaper deal. I think that's probably the better option. Yeah, Zach, I know you you love my answer, huh? Picking Gallagher. I do. I do love your answer. You still but owe ulti- me twenty bucks, but <laughs> listen. Ultimately, li- whoa, 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 whoa. If, if yes, Connor you go- do. No, if you Connor owe him cons- twenty bucks. If Connor scores another two, three goals be- between now no. and the end of the season, we may have a different conversation. Okay, yeah. Maybe if he scores like five Ooh. goals in the next. Yeah, if he somehow qualifies us for Europe, sure. All right, so I still have hope. Um, No, but look, to answer this question, it's pretty simple. It has to be one or the other. We obviously need to sell players this summer to meet FFP rules and also to clear out the massive squad we have because it's just way too fucking big. Um, The mount situation's a little sticky. I know he's asking for a lot of money and money that the club's not necessarily willing to pay him. Um, so he looks the more likely out of the two to leave. So it, it, if I had to guess, I think I would say that Connor, as of right now, is the one that's going to be staying. But um, you know, let's say it, Mason but, Mount does accept a contract offer from us, then in that case, I'm 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 gonna sell Connor Gallagher and get maximum value for him because, okay, let's say Connor Gallagher, we can maybe get somewhere between thirty-five and fifty million for him. I think. I think he's good enough and young enough to where we can get maximum value. Mason Mount, maybe closer to 70-ish. Either way, that's good profit from the club's perspective. Pure profit because they're both academy products. But on the flip side, we do need to keep one of them because with this mass midfield exodus, assuming guys like Kovacic, Zakaria, um, they're going to be leaving at the end of the year. We're going to be light there. So we need to keep one of them just for squad depth purposes. And I don't think it would be at as easy for Mount to be the one to be benched as opposed to Gallagher. I think Gallagher will accept the squad role much more openly than Mount ever would. So for that reason, I would prefer to keep Gallagher, let Mount go. You're going to get more value for a guy like Mason Mount anyways. And you go from there. Wait, if you were just arguing for the opposite and then you change the answer at the very no, last said, <laughs> The main point is that one of them stays. It would be good. Right. I would be. I'm, I'm over the moon. Listen, I'm over the moon if Mount resigns a contract, but I'm also okay if we keep Connor and let Mount walk. Like both of those situations are net positives for me because at the end of the day, we need to sell players, and these are probably two of our biggest sellable assets in terms of just cash profit that we can make quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was my point. Well. Earl of Chelsea, I'll put you a third situation. Let's sell Kai Havertz and RLC, and we keep mm. Mountain Gallagher, huh? Anyone like down? that even no? better? <laughs> no, but to answer this question, I am actually going to disagree with both of you. I'll take Mount for three years. I think we don't know. Like, we know that right now, today, Mount ceiling is higher than Gallagher's, as of today. The best of Mount is better than the best of Gallagher at the top level. Gallagher is still very much having to adapt to being part of a team that's 
pushing for top six, top four consistently. And Mason Mount was our back-to-back player of the season before his injuries and before this shit show of a season. I think every manager we've had has chosen Mount and he has repaid in good favor up until this season. I think the contract negotiation honestly probably played into a shitty season for him and then the injuries happened. But to me, I think Mason Mount finds a way into an 11. He has but time and time again, and he has shown that he can be double digits in goal and assists in the Premier League, wherever the hell he plays. Um, we look into the 4-2-3-1. He can probably do the quote-unquote Erickson role if we're going to stick to the Poch me- method where he's on the right side, but he's really more of an auxiliary 10 when you have an overlapping fullback. And again, three years of Mason Mount gives time to guys like Carney Chukwameka, guys like Cesare Cassidy, other guys that are going to play the eight, who in theory are supposed to have a higher ceiling than Connor Gallagher to get there by the time that Mount leaves. The other part of it is a lot of mid-table sides will be more than comfortable paying $40 million for Gallagher, while I think only Liverpool will shell out the 70 to $80 million for Mount. And rumor has it that they've already worked out a deal with McAllister from Brighton, which would be covering the space of Mason Mount for cheaper. So, yeah. again, in this situation, I keep Mount, cash in on Gallagher for 40 and those two, three years allows me to get those next, the next generation of eights who are supposed to be, again, we poached Carney, who was supposed to go to Barca. We poached Cassidy, who was also touted to go to all elite clubs, believe in those guys three years down the road. So a little bit different take than you guys there. Mm-hmm. But interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Something tells me that Mason Mount can have, even though they, even though we don't have a contract with him yet, maybe it's something that a new manager two months into a season can convince them to do, but we'll move on to the next question, but that's really risky. Understandably. So I I get that. And I'm hoping it doesn't get to that. I'm hoping that, you know, now that we're safe, we see a managerial announcement stat. And then within a month's time, the manager says, here's who I need. Here's who I need gone. And we can start seeing the extensions of both Mount and Conte potentially, because he still hasn't signed a new deal. Um, and start figuring out who we're shelling out. So, again, in this hypothetical, I'd like to keep Mount. I think he's still somebody that can find a way to produce. But, yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting summer for us. Um, Let's see. We have Sophie Bikes and Ron basically both pointing out the fact that Frank finally trusted the kids, and the kids let us get a win. We got Forrest next, and Sophie wants to know, do we keep this up? Do we continue to win? Forrest, they're not safe yet. We are. They just scored four goals this past week against Southampton. I think they need, I think one win and other people kind of not winning gets them out of the relegation zone again. Um, Not sure if I'm correct there. They're they're out of the relegation zone. Excuse me. So there are three points. Three points clear right now. So they still have a lot to play for. I think Gibbs White is an absolute baller. I think that whether Forrest stays or or gets relegated, he'll get signed by somebody else. The way I see it, it's desperation uh, on their part versus potentially comfort on our side now that we're safe. So, Zach, how how do you see this sort of match playing out? 
if this is the most winnable of our remaining games. I will, <laughs> I'll just say that right off the bat. Um, you don't think we can I, beat either Manchester club? Man City has to beat us, so they will. We'll uh, let Man City beat, beat us. That, that's yeah, what you need please. to say. We will Lord, let them yeah. beat us. Yeah, I hope we do. Um, <laughs> but look, it, it, Forest, I did watch their game last weekend. Defensively, they are absolutely, Sam's going to love this, shambolic. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can't defend to save their lives. If Southampton can score three on them, I fully expect us to go in there and score three on them too. Um, the key is keeping them out of goal. I know last match, uh, like Andres said, Gibbs White had a crazy game, a really nice back heel uh, flick assist too. If you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it. It's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, their attack is very straightforward. They play vertically and they play in behind. So they're going to try and use their pay, the pace of Gibbs White and the pace of Brandon Johnson in behind and try and spit balls into the box to you know whatever big lump they put up front, probably Awanee. So I think it's a winnable game for us. Um, if we control possession and obviously take advantage of our opportunities, then we should be okay. Hopefully, now that the team has seen the ball go in the net th- four times in the last three matches, or in the last two matches, um, maybe they'll be a little bit more confident. If Frank picks the same lineup that we had against Bournemouth, I think it's uh I think we could walk away from this one nil or possibly two one Chelsea. But I definitely don't think we're gonna go in there and roll Forest over. They're in a relegation battle and they're gonna they're gonna work their asses off against us. Play the kids oh. for sure. Play the kids. I mean, we uh, I've been saying this like uh, I apologize if I seem checked out. For this season, for the rest of the season, that's because I am checked out. <laughs> I really don't care about any result anymore. There's only one thing I care about, and it's playing Amen, the kids. Brother. That's the only thing I care about. So, just give me what I want. That's it. Let's hear. It. Let's hear the eleven song. You already know what the front three is. Um, Carney, Obana and Sedekai, right? Yeah, then the same two uh, on the wings. Then uh, we, if we can get Carney started playing in the midfield, I mean, the young... Uh, those, are the, those are the main guys that I'm thinking of. Like, in the other positions, we don't really have um, like any young players that we need to learn from. You know, like, yeah. I, I wouldn't say let's, let's play... RLC because he's one of the young guys. Like, I'd still want to play Enzo. I'd still want to play Ngolo Conte because those guys are going to be here moving forward. Um, but I also wouldn't mind seeing them get a little bit of rest. Maybe I don't know. Um, but I think that's like I, I'm not interested in seeing Raheem Sterling. I'm not interested yeah. in seeing Joao Felix. I'm definitely not interested in seeing Hakim Ziyech and um, maybe Kovacic might be on that list as well. I don't know. It's, they're, he's definitely not on the same level as me being like done with them for the rest of the season. Um, but he's he's close. You got it. You got a score for us. I know you're checked out. Feelers. Two two. Two two. Ah, there it is. Listen, guys, I 
Zach, I'm a little bit – I think the desperation side is going to play into our hands. I yeah. think I think if one thing is it remains about this Chelsea team is that if, if somebody's going to try to play open against us, we will create a lot of chances on the counter. And Forrest has to come out and win from the very beginning. And if we're able to absorb even 80% of that, 70% of that in the first 10 minutes, I think we can snap an early goal. I think I was just talking about Mudrik getting space. I think this is going to be the match where he gets to just terrorize a few center backs because Forrest does run a back three uh, a lot. And you have Conte, you have Enzo. Let's say it's Gallagher who also runs his ass off defensively. All they will need to do is find one pass out of possession and we're through. And and, and that's all I can th- see. I don't think we're going to have a 15-pass goal. I think we'll have a two-pass goal, a one-pass goal maybe, what, what, what the kids call a ratty goal in FIFA. Just <laughs> one long through ball to Noni or, or Mudrik and they're off to the races because – they're going to have to send everyone forward, everyone. And, and Frank should be smart enough to see that coming. They need three points. We don't need shit, but it'd be great to win. And I think it's going to take a lot of patience in the first 15 minutes, but I think we can win 2-0. I, I really think we can just deflate Forrest. I know that they had a high-scoring game against Southampton, but that's because Southampton also needed to score a lot. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. 2-0. I'm thinking low possession, high chance creation. And I'd love to see Carney. I'd love to see him get some minutes, and I'd love for Lewis Hall to, to get a full 90 at left mm-hmm. back. Yeah, so, so uh, my, uh, of my list of play the, play the kids, I didn't mention... Um, um, why am I, Lewis well, Hall? Well, Lewis Hall and um, Connor Gallagher. Um I mean, Connor Gallagher for sure. Lewis Hall is like a little bit of a stretch because he hasn't played that much, but Gallagher he was on the sure bench. should be starting. Yeah, he was. He, he was on the bench. and, and He's been so again, good every time he's played too. I, I honestly think, I don't know if Lampard has some sentimentality towards Aspie right now being former teammates, and he's just like, I'll give you, I'll throw you a bone a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, but now that we're safe, just play the kids. You did it before, Frank. It worked for you the first time, and you got top four. Let's go. But with that, guys, I think it's safe to say we can call it. You know, we play Saturday, I believe, against Forest. Hopefully, we get back-to-back wins for the first time in a very, 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 very long time. As always, give us a follow on Twitter, at BluesOnParade. Feel free to also email us. Those are always fun to, to find and read. But, guys... Happy times. We have another Premier League season ahead of us. And with that, boys, let's keep the blue flag flying high.